Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Jeremy Smith and Mohamed Ali. The Premier League season may be over, but lucky for us, there are still two weeks of the Ligue 1 season to go. We are all excited, but maybe not quite as over the top as Mike Dean in the Tramier playoff game. But who went crazy in the away end this weekend, and who was was really deserving of over 100 red cards? All of that and more after the latest headlines. Saint-Étienne's Champions League hopes took a hefty blow as they simultaneously boosted Montpellier's European aspirations as the away side won 1-0 on Friday night. Both sides had men sent off, but Gaëtan Laborde uh, grabbed all the all-important goal as the race for fifth lives on for at least another week. On Saturday, Can uh, Con, sorry, uh, gained another huge win in with their three-two uh, defeat of Ras. Casimir Ninge, Faikel Fire, and uh, Frederic Gilbert all hit the target as the Normandy club went on level points with Monaco. That is because the Principality club failed to win for the seventh game in a row, with Nîmes running out 1-0 winners. And they could still hold fear for an automatic relegation place, as Dijon claimed a vital 2-1 win against Strasbourg. Elsewhere, Amiens could still be dragged into the scrap themselves after their 0-0 draw with Toulouse. Nantes' five-game winning streak came to an end with a one-all draw at Nice, while PSG finally got back to winning ways with a 2-1 win over Angers. On Sunday, Gangup missed a penalty in the final minute that actually saw them relegated to Ligue 2. Ismail Assar had put Ren in front, but Gerzino Niamsi's red card um, left the door open for Gangob before Alexander Mendy equalised three minutes from time. But Marcus Taram's miss means Jocelyn Govanek's side's top flight adventure has come to an end. Leo booked their place in next year's Champions League with a 1-0 win over Bordeaux. And in the final game of the weekend, they increased their own chances of getting to their same stage next season as their grip on third strengthened with a 3-0 victory over Marseille at the Stade Velodrome. That also means Loewen will not be hosting European football next season. And finally, congratulations go to Stade Boistois, who are confirmed as league participants next season. Their promotion was absolutely rubber-stamped on Friday night with a 3-0 win over Niort. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the relegation battle because it is really hotting up down there. But we're going to talk about the side that we've unfortunately lost. First of all, uh, Jez, it's been a, a tough season for Gangump and it's come down to one game with everyone around them winning, which has forced it upon them to, to get the victory. And they were so close on Sunday as well with a penalty in the last minute. A pretty disappointing one in all honesty for Marcus Turan, but... The kind of lacklustre, soft and and too easy to handle nature of it kind of sums up their entire season. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. You look at look at the um, goals for and goals against charts, and they're they're quite relatively comfortably worse in 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 both categories. And it's hard to argue as as difficult as it as it is because I think they're a very likable club and Gruvenex a very likable coach. Is it's hard to argue that, that they don't deserve this, really. 
and then they've they've played well in phases. I think um, there was a, a really positive run where they tightened up the defence and it looked like they were going to um, maybe be able to go onto a run to save themselves. I think at one point they they did kind of rise up to third from bottom again, but then I think as we've discussed in previous weeks, there were just those those sort of sucker punches of, of the kind of uh, late equaliser that Monaco got against the, the, the sort of uh, the three-all draw with Strasbourg that maybe they should have held on to, to win. And then it was even against Marseille, 2-1 down, the, the ball comes off the bar, could easily have gone over the line. It didn't. Marseille goes straight up the other end and score. And just in the end, I think they just ran out of steam. And, and probably the way the match ended yesterday maybe sums them up that you know, they, they, they fall behind um, to down to poor defending. They show character to get back into it. Then they, they do get a chance to, to, to grab a late draw, which would have given them still, still it would have been odds against them staying up, but it certainly would have given them hope for another week. Um, it was a soft penalty and, and Marcus Duran, who um, I, you know, I stand to be corrected at some point in the future, but I still think that his greatest attribute in his game is his surname. Um, you know, it was a really poor penalty and a poor follow-up, and, and, and they're down. And yeah, it was almost like microcosm of, of their season: really poor start, fight their way back into it, and then just a bit lacking at the end. Yeah, and this six-season stay is is. is been sort of typified Mo of of beating the odds and playing above their stanchion and they've had some excellent players come through there and we thought this squad at the start of the season was probably strong enough to keep them in again given some of the um, inferiority around them and the the worries about the teams that have promoted but credit to them they've been absolutely excellent but the problem has been for a number of times the season is they (laughs) <laughs> the the basis of any relegated side they've not really got the goals I mean Turam has scored eight but at least I think at least four of those are penalties and they've not been able to keep others out and that's the simplest thing in football it's a it's a recipe for disaster yeah no I agree I agree with everything that's been said um, at the beginning of the season I'd actually thought they'd finish between you know around tenth to fifteenth like comfortable mid table um, and even though they look like you know, quite a small team. Obviously, come from a very uh, small place. They're not exactly like the um, the juniors of the league. Um, they've been obviously in the league for a couple of years now and won a trophy. And uh, I think do have um, a, a budget or sort of playing infrastructure that uh, is on paper better than a couple of the teams below them or um, uh, the newcomers of the league. Obviously, they're at the bottom of the table. But um, you know, it's just a combination of very very poor. Uh, results are lots of underforming players like there are a couple of players um, in that team who could do a job for some of the Europe chasers um, in in French football and they've just not switched on they've just not switched on for a long period I know Guovnik came in uh, a couple of months ago to sort of stable the ship but you know I think yesterday's game was just a (laughs) just an indication and a reflection of just how this easy's been Uh, you know promising bursts um, a little bit of luck, which which they frankly don't deserve, and in the end they've thrown it away. Um, and as you know, league tables in life, five wins all season for a club of that stature. When a couple of years ago they were they had strong stronger home records uh, um, with more than five wins just at home, um, and now 
five out of 38 is not good at all. So, you know, the trapdoor has befallen them. Yeah, and those eleven draws really will will cut deep as well. And you look at them having the they've got the least amount of goals, but at the same time that we say that the second least is Nice at the moment, who are sec uh, who are seventh, sorry, and they've only scored three more. But Nice have conceded exactly half the amount of goals can go have, and that is exactly the reason why they've gone down. I mean, they've conceded a lot more than anyone. I mean, the next ones they've conceded sixty four goals. Next one up from those is is Monaco and Dijon have scored fifty five. I mean, letting that amount of goals has just it just killed them off. And admittedly, some of them uh, the pumping by nine um, nil of, of of Paris Saint Germain is a, is a pretty hefty weight on that goal difference. But at the same time, there's a there's a number of three nils. There's a there's a four nil there. There's a there's a five nil. They lost not um, back in November as well. Three um, nil to Lille as well. It just they couldn't keep other teams out, and when they could, they couldn't score. And I, while that sounds like the simplest math in football, that it's always going to create a disaster. And it's it's always worrying, really, Jess, because. Whenever a team goes down to Ligue 2, the question always seems to be, will they bounce back up? And at the same time, while we do have a fair amount of teams that do go through that role, I know, I know obviously Mets have done it a number of times in the last couple of years, and we're looking at Trois possibly being in the, the playoff um, again this season, and they've come up frequently after going back down. But it's not always quite as easy as that. Is Gengop a team built enough to, to come immediately back to Ligue 1 next season? I think I think they probably are. Um, obviously, on paper, they're not. They're you know a tiny little provincial club, and everyone knows that, that there's there's more seats in the stadium than than there are in the town. But they have built for themselves a, a decent sort of heritage. They really have got a good setup there, and um, uh, I I would assume that every year they kind of budget for for a worst case scenario. You'd think that a well-run club like that would would do that kind of thing. Um, so I think, uh, sort of infrastructurally, infrastructurally, um, that they could be okay. But I think a lot depends on on kind of who's still there and, and how how changed the team will be next year. Um, starting with Gouvenek, who obviously with, with this setback and and the Bordeaux experience, his his stock isn't as high as it was at one point. But he he could well be the manager, the coach who's still in demand. Um, and then. I mean, taking this as an example, they you know they have enough practice of, of trying to go back up, and they've managed to get promoted with with a team full of veterans. They've done it with a team full of kids, and they've done it with a mixture. So all of them could work, but you wonder if players like Sorbon and Kerbrat possibly now look to um, whether they'll look to, to move those two on and, and focus more on young players. Um, you know, players like Piri, Coco, and Blas, if they stay. Um, Piri, I think, has done really well on the scene this year, but Blas and Coco, I think, have plateaued a bit the last two or three years. So uh, there's two ways of looking at it. Maybe move on to, for, to to try something new or maybe sort of take a step back in order to, to take two two steps forward. So I think a lot of it depends on what the playing staff is like next year. Turan, by all accounts, is going to leave. Um, I think I could see them bouncing straight back up um, I could see it taking a season or two, but I certainly would expect them to, to be back in the gas sooner rather than later. I don't think they're going to be a sort of Sochaux or Oxel or Valenciennes who end up sort of fighting at the, near the bottom of the division. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they can manage this step down. Because like you say, some teams 
tend to take it quite gracefully and, and spring back up. But some teams, even we thought someone like Lorient would would be someone that would come straight back up, but they've struggled to try and replicate that and and, and others. But we'll, we shall wait and see. And it, importantly, that's why a lot of other teams are, are really picking up the pace at the moment and starting with possibly the most important result um Mo, it is Con again. If we keep mentioning that the, they were awful for a long period of this season, and we've mentioned that they just won't let themselves die, but really they're on a tear now. I mean, they've they've won three of their last four, getting ten points now from a possible twelve, which is unfathomable. Really, at some point, mm. we thought that they'd be, they'd be down to bury. And now, not only are they in a decent spot for the relegation playoffs, but they're starting to pull others into this relegation fight to make it what could be a, a sort of four-way battle for the last two games of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I think it's not, you know, it's not the first time that they've sort of tried to pull off a great escape. Um, and, you know, if there's a team that you want to bet on sort of playing when it counts, uh, it'll be them. Uh, three wins out of five. Uh, it's obviously a very, very good recent record. And, what, I mean, I would like to bet on them to at least... Uh, you know, leapfrog Monaco, but of course they've got a very difficult game um, next next weekend against Lyon, which is obviously I think a fixture that they've done pretty well in recently. So we don't exactly know, but I think the players are standing up now. They are, um, you know, putting everything on the line. Which is the same can't be said for for Gangon, uh or Monaco, uh, for example. But I don't know, Mercadal. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think really about teams who have played really, really poorly, like you mentioned, for such a long swathe of the season. And in the last sort of five to six, seven games, they're now just putting the results in. Because if you look at the results Khan have have managed, um, and then sort of the preceding results, look at the comparison, not much has changed apart from a bit of urgency. Um, You know, like there have been like narrow wins over, you know, Monaco. They've obviously beaten Dijon. They've won away in Nice and, you know, high flying Ram as well. That's just. That's just in the last month or so, but then couple that with, you know, before the heavy defeats to Saint Etienne, the, 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 you know, the the failures to win against uh, Toulouse and Amiens and Montpellier, sort of just very very lax performances. Obviously, they also pe- uh, a team that hasn't scored that much. Things about twenty twenty eight twenty nine, uh, just a couple more than Monaco, if I can remember from the goal difference. Um, it's just you know. I don't know really what to say when you know how to how to how to evaluate a team uh, who've just shown what they can what they are able to do and they are able to pick up some really decent results at home and the odds result away as well. But it might be too little, too late going into next weekend against Leon. Just who knows? Yeah, that's the f- funny thing about this whole relegation battle, really, because the credit to to Cons fans at least, they absolutely packed out the Michel Donano at the weekend, and mm-hmm. and their their players fully rise to the occasion, just because there was some adversity in that last game. They they, they pulled themselves back into it, and Con had to go again, and they managed to get three one up, and had a nervy couple of minutes at the end after Zanelli's penalty as well. It, it, it's a credit to them that they've got themselves in this position, but the hard work continues really, like. Like Mo saying, they've got a, a difficult game coming up this weekend with opponents that are above them, at least facing each other, really. So they might be able to ensnare one of them or, or possibly might have both of them go away if they can't get a result. So the, the difficulty thing for, for the Brittany side is if they if they want to even keep going, and with Dijon coming up 
and below them as well. And we'll we'll talk about both of those in a in a moment. That really realistically, this Leon game they could they could go out and win and stay in the position they're on. Or they could lose this game and go back into the automatic relegation places. That tight for them at the moment, and they have to keep the momentum going. Um, they do, but the, the form that they've been in recently. Um, I mean, to be honest, even if even if they were to lose against Leon, as long as, long as it's not a, a, a real thrashing, they're, they're, they're still going to be in touch and not necessarily in their own hands. But you know, say say they have a narrow defeat, even if Monaco were to have a, a narrow win against Amiens, which isn't at all a formality the way they're playing at the moment and the fact that Amiens still still fighting to be absolutely sure of staying up as well. Um, with I think there's a, you know, the level on points is only one goal in it, so um, it is going to go to the last match of the season. And seeing and can't having been in that position already the last couple of years, and um, you know I, th- I think a, a winnable last match. Bordeaux you know, looks so poor in recent weeks. <laughs> I suppose it's not necessarily in their hands because Monaco are ahead of them, and, and we need to sort. Of reassess after after this weekend but I are in a great position I know I've said it before I've said it about Gagan at one point probably about Dijon at one point um, that they're the form team and with those other two we've seen that at some point obviously you lose your form and it doesn't necessarily mean anything but you've got to think that at the moment of, the, of those three teams that are Monaco, Caen, Dijon they're, they're certainly the ones who, who Surely, have got their their tails up on the on the recent form that they're having, and you know this this weekend even it wasn't even an uh, well, I mean it was an, it was a one goal win in the end, but we certainly don't usually expect Conte to score three goals in a game. So, you know, if, if their attackers are, are starting to fire as well, I wouldn't say there's a feel good factor, but considering at some point they look dead and buried, and again, I think this 18th place playoff pace makes such a difference because it gives someone a second chance. I think they, they've got to feel confident that at worst they'll get that playoff. And, and I really think that, that that when you look at their respective form at the moment, Monaco could well drop into the bottom three. Yeah, and that's the really interesting thing because we've mentioned a few weeks now, Mo, that Monaco seem like they've gotten themselves out of it, but now they are absolutely within the thick of things now. They're only a goal above Khan and they're um, only a, well, a level on points with them at the moment as well. So th- things can go south depending on if, how results go in these last two games, but they were pretty dreadful against the Nîmes side that have been in great form, but it could have been two or three really to the home side in the end. Monaco didn't create an enormous amount and it's a it's a real worry because yes for a lot of these sides it's it's a it's a blow to go into league there but it's almost unfathomable for monaco isn't it yeah absolutely and obviously not discounting the fact they've already been relegated once this decade um but if you just look at the sheer amount of talent on the on the on the pitch i think someone on twitter was uh, saying that they've not seen a team that stacked go down um apart you know not not counting Juventus, obviously the the forced relegation in two thousand and six. That this is just a a very you know talented team on paper. It's just unfathomable for a team of Monaco side, especially considering where they were uh, just two years ago in the uh, as as champions. Uh, it would be a very very sad sight to see. But then again, it's just you know tactics aren't not working. The players 
uh, they're not a case of cohesive unit. If you just looked at the game on um, at the weekend against Nîmes, it was just very very lax. Nîmes went ahead uh, early on, and the players, the sort of the team uh, that was put out, did not really have the urgency, have the deliverance to to pull Monaco over the line. And it's a continuation, obviously, against Saint Etienne. They were ahead for a while through that game away against Rennes. Uh, get, you know, and against PSG, if this is obviously a very poor PSG team at the moment, just poor performances, unable to see our matches, and with the experienced players in the team, uh, it's something that's very, very surprising. I, I personally don't think that they will go down. Um, I think next weekend's fixtures will go some way to to uh, sort of deciding which teams are favourites to go down, which three, which teams will stay up. And just by quirk of the fixture list, I guess that they have they are playing a team just directly above them at home, a weaker team, you know, far weaker team on paper, and I expect them very much so as a Leonardo Jardin team, as a former champion to really secure three points. But then again, with the way they're playing at the moment, it's anyone's guess. Yeah, and that's the the funny thing, really, going on to the team they'll be facing at the weekend, Jesse in in Amhel, and we can talk about sort of both teams in this, but. We thought they were pretty safe, and in all honesty, looking at it, they have been picking up points, but they can't seem to grab a win. They've drew against, I mean, drew two against Toulouse at the weekend. They got a draw against Montpellier the weekend previously. There's, there's draws here, they're in everywhere. In fact, in the last 10 games, there's only two games that they haven't drawn, and they've won one and they've lost one of those. So they're, they're gaining points, but at such a slow rate to everyone else below them gaining points that it's, that it's, pulled them back in and yes a point at the weekend will pretty much do them really in terms of at least automatic relegation you would think but at the same time if they lose to Monaco at the weekend and can get the three points they're in the relegation playoff place and that even a couple of weeks ago more so than even Monaco seemed like it was an impossibility yeah I mean it's it's not beyond the rounds of possibility that they can get something but I mean, I guess you can look at it both ways. They're, they're, they're not winning any, but they're, they're also making themselves very hard to beat and one defeat in the last whatever it is, 9, 10, 11 maybe matches um, isn't a bad record and they're not conceding many either. Two against Nantes, but Nantes are in great form at the moment and, and generally they're, they're being tight at the back. So even if they were to lose to Monaco, I think probably that cushion is just about enough. And if it isn't, they, they're at home to Gagra in their last match. So you know, if they were to lose that, then uh, to an extent, you'd be tempted to say, well, but, you know, if, if they got relegated because they, they lost to Gagra, you kind of be tempted to say they deserve it. It's going to be a really great one of the weekend. I, save your notes, ladies and gentlemen. We'll definitely be talking about that one on Thursday because it's going to be one fascinating clash. And uh, the, I suppose the relegation fight gets even more interesting, Mo, because Dijon managed to keep up with things. And we thought that they might be dead and buried after the, the con result and the fact that they couldn't pick up anything last week in against Nolte, even though they were in great form at that point. But they managed to pull out the bag of 2-1 winning against Strasbourg, which was somewhat fortunate. I think Ajok should have really scored when it was still 1-1. He missed from what basically was pretty much a tap-in, really. But they're still in touching distance and, and a couple of results go in their way. I mean, much like we said, if Amion, if Monaco win and Con win, Amion would drop into that third place. If if Con were to lose and Monaco were to lose and somehow Dijon picked, 
three points at Paris Saint-Germain, which, yes, is unlikely, but the way this is going, I don't think we want to eliminate anything. They could be yeah. out of it as well. It's 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 that good, and that's how important that win was for Kumbaro's side. Absolutely. You're getting deep into permutation territory now, but... Um... <laughs> Um, you know, obviously it was a fantastic win against a very poor Strasbourg team who just seem, can't seem to get anything right at the moment. Um, and a very dramatic one too. That's a very important three points. But as much as I like to praise Dijon for showing some bit of resilience and hanging on to the end, it's just another example of a frustrating team who have, you know, have put themselves in the position to, um, you know, put themselves on the platform to sort of survive relegation they've they've picked up was it in early april early early part of april some really decent results where you thought hang on you know if they if they managed to solidify these results they were two wins in the draw one of which obviously came against leon uh, at leon uh, which is a highly satisfying result for them and and then when obviously the critics and the fans start to believe that you know kumbare and co might put something together then comes some very poor potentially fatal results. Now they've got to go to the park um, and, and get something. And even then it might not be enough. Obviously I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to see how they could put a uh, fair, fa- you know, sort of a fair trajectory to safety. And also this will be a Paris team who obviously have got nothing to play for, but they will be lifting the league title, I suppose, next weekend. And would like to put on a decent <laughs> performance, I hope. Um, I just, I just can't see it. It's another example of a frustrating team who have left it perhaps too little too late that one no defeat against Khan a couple of weeks ago will potentially deliver the fatal blow I mean I don't know whether they'll still be able to make it um, to at least the playoffs uh, I think the final games against Toulouse I think um, depending on a whole other set of results going one way or another it still potentially might be possible but you know it's it's inconceivable at the moment yeah, and that's the the crazy thing. But the, I mean, the difficulty comes just that Dijon really wouldn't want to face Paris Saint Germain, even though they they've not been in the greatest of forms, really. But for for all of them, in the last couple of games of the season, it's a, it's a it's a strange combination of, like we say, Monaco facing Amiens. So yeah. either someone's going to drop points there, or both aren't going to pick up enough. Should uh, Con pick up a, a result which they've got to try and get at Leon now and Dijon have got to try and get a result at the uh, Parc de Prince and then you look at the weekend ahead and then Con maybe have an easier fixture at Bordeaux Dijon possibly you never know. Fi- yeah. you know, I mean we saw we saw um, I can't remember if it was this last season or the season before uh, when Con who obviously needed a result in Paris ended up scoring very late on through Rodelin, um to, to secure their safety so obviously it's it's doable it's just I'm not sure whether you know lightning will be able to strike twice. But that's the thing as well, though, isn't it? If if those if if some of the crazy results happen and we still have a four way fight in that last game, I mean, Amiens have Gangomp as well, which they would expect to win, and, and Monaco have got to try and win at Nice in a in what is a, a real rivalry game, and a, a, not the kind of game you want to be finishing on against Pachavieri. So, so Jez, it's it's really heating up. I think we're just all old neutrals at least anyway I hope we can pray that it maybe somehow mixes up so it's a it's a it's a four-way fight maybe uh, if Dijon win Con draw let's say Monaco wins so that's 36 35 34 34 going into the last game of the season and it could it could be really really mad and and here we go again but at the same time do you think Dijon can really get a result against Paris Saint-Germain because even if they do, like Mo says, if, if other games go their way, it could could be curtains for them anyway. So they, they kind of have to go for it. 
Yeah, I mean, realistically, if they lose and, and can't want to get a draw, that, that's probably it. And um, if not, that's his way. And this this is the fixture that Dijon lost 8 0 last year. <laughs> Obviously, very different circumstances in the middle of the season. So, so PSG were still playing for something. Neymar was sort of in one of his little periods where he could actually be bothered. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of PSG has just switched off, so I think Dijon can have a bit more of a chance. But I think um, PSG seems to have got a little bit more focus in the last week or two. And uh, last last time match of the season, you've got to think that they're going to try to put on a show for, for for the fans. So I think it's going to be a pretty tough for Dijon to get anything out of this one. But yeah, certainly if if, if can't. As, as you'd expect, uh, lose to Lyon and, and you know whatever happens in the other match, there's certainly still going to be at least two or three teams still involved in, in, in the battle for, I guess, 18th or 19th place. Uh, sorry, 18th or 17th place. So, yeah, there's definitely still going to be some. I'd be shocked if there wasn't still something to play for last match of the season. Yeah, here's me fingers crossed for that scenario I said earlier. I know some of the fans of those teams won't be too happy to have a four-way race in there, their hearts beating all the way through that um, Friday. As you guys said, for the most part, it seems like teams have got a very winnable match and a very losable match. So it just, I guess it depends how they do in the match they're expected to win and which one of them can grab something, some kind of surprise result where they're not expected to. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating last couple of games. I, I can't think of uh, any other battle. Maybe maybe the race for Europe in Italy, but anything else that's coming down to the wire like this, as close as this, it's going to be a really fascinating to watch and see if there's any more twists and turns. As I mean, just, just, just to bookend this, um, I would, my personal, my personal uh, uh, sort of recommendation or what I want to see happen next next uh, week. I would like to see... Dijon to beat PSG. Exactly. Dijon to beat PSG. That's obviously a given. (laughs) Khan to to, uh, draw at Lyon and Monaco and Amiens draw as well. And then we would have, I think, two points separating the four going into the final final weekend. And then I think that would be definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be all. Th- that'd be three teams on thirty-four, wouldn't it? And Ami yeah, on on 36. thirty-six as well. So that yeah, that will keep it nice. And, oh, we've got two permutations we can enjoy now, at least. Anyway, <laughs> like I say, that let's hope that it's going to be a one a hell of an exciting end. And on that Friday of the, the last sort of uh, game of fixtures, it could be a real cracker to to watch at home as well. Uh, on to matters further up the table and the big game on on Sunday between Leon and Marseille that all but put Leon into Europe, but unfortunately for your side, Mo, is, is all but uh, well, absolutely confirmed that Loem will not be competing in Europe next season, which is a bit of a disappointment. And, and it's been a tough season, especially that sort of dry period, really, but in the middle of the season that's that's crippled them in the end. But last night was just a sort of an accumulation of a number of things. It was a couple of, uh, yes, yeah, silly moments from, from Leon players diving around a little bit, but, but Marseille also not taking some of their chances and defensive mistakes costing them again? Yeah. Um, well, let's begin again. Um, I think you're a bit polite when you're saying, you know, a bit of a disappointment. It's a massive disappointment. <laughs> it's a massive disappointment. But, you know, again, I think you, know, you get what you deserve. Um, 
think for too long, OM have been playing, I think, if I can remember, since March, since that sort of small period where they won five out of six games. They've been, there's always been like a 15-minute window where they do play really well, uh, where chances are created, um, numerous amounts often miss, but you know the team do play with a bit of fluidity and a bit of urgency as well. But that's always only been for 15-minute. either comes right at the beginning of matches or sort of just after the half halfway point. And again, it happened yesterday, I think, just after halftime with the uh, introduction of Tovan, OM did play a lot better than they did in the first half. Um, Gustavo, Sakai um, and uh, Ocampos all had chances. I think Lopez was kept pretty busy. And then comes the eventual switch-off. It's just something that's been definitely unable to sustain. Um, and it's, if it hasn't cost them before uh, against Gangon, Gangon, like you said, hit the post, went at 2-1, you know, a result that could have helped them on their way to safety. OM eventually saw out the game. Um, and basically, obviously, it's come to their detriment several times against Amion, um, against PSG, against, you know, um, uh, and other occasions as well. And yesterday was the same thing. Leon, I think, could walk away from that game and say that was not our diff- most difficult away game. That was not literally, I think we we had more of a fight from Dijon or or, or, or uh, Nîmes or something, you know. Um, there was just, a, they were they were pretty poor themselves, but took their chances when it was presented. OM have a very, very floppy defence. And in the end, get what deserved. I think a lot of fans are thinking that, you know, things are not averagely bad, if I can, if I can say that. They're hoping for the maximum sort of set of failure to ensure that a lot of change gets done. And if OM did sneak into Europe through the back door, then we'd have to put up with more of the same next season. So there are positives to this, but obviously there's a lot of negatives to deal, deal with first. Yeah, and a number of things that will be sorted out in the summer, and we'll come on to those in a bit. I'm going to talk Leon to Jez at least anyway to mix this up a little bit because it it was a it was a good result at least for for Leon. The scoreline probably somewhat flattering given that they maybe took advantage of the chances. Depay had a few as well that were pretty severely missed, but at the same time they gifted Marseille a few opportunities there, and but they'll just be happy to be trying to get over the line they got the the favor they needed from Montpellier which means they're now four points above Saint-Étienne for that third spot and if Chelsea win the Europa League that would also be an automatic group stage spot so they'll be cheering on them should they confirm that spot of the weekend against Dijon but much like we've mentioned all season that's not a guarantee that Lyon will be able to get the three points because they do tend to play up or down to depending on their opponent but more importantly at the weekend they got the result they needed uh, yeah, I think it went as well as, as it, it could have gone for them. I think going into the Lille match last week, and they picked up a bit of form before that, but that was, you know, it's not that long ago that they were apparently in complete crisis. So to get four points in those two matches, I think they, they yeah, I think most Lille fans would have taken that beforehand. And the, the Saint-Etienne result was a, was a huge bonus as well. So. Now they, they look relatively comfortable as long as they don't sense it, do they? They usually stuff up when they're expected to win. Um, they, they look pretty well set for, for third place. And even by their standards, a massive shock if they, if they, if they got to that. And just everything looked a lot better yesterday. For, um, apart from Depay, maybe, most of the players who had a bit of criticism this year stepped up. I think Undon Belly didn't. Sort of on and off, but, but 
leader at top for it. Awa, who I have to say, I think he's a fantastic player, but I think for a lot of the season he's been awful. Just I'm not sure why. I think just because he's a sort of golden boy, he gets away um, with. I don't think he's crit- he's been criticised as much as he probably deserves, but he, he was great and. I'm still not 100% sure if the first goal came from an Awa or a Terrier shot. If it was an Awa, he basically had a very big part to play with three goals, which, which was impressive. Um, even Marcelo Victorai and Morel slotted back in first match with four matches, first match with four months rather. So generally they looked a lot better, apart from the part again. Um, and <laughs> I still think they have to look back in this season as. as one of, of disappointment in general because I really thought that they could perhaps give PSG a little bit of a fright and certainly should have finished in second place. So to, to finish third as, as you'd expect them to and, and um, to possibly have to qualify for Champions League to get to the uh, home semi-final in the Coupe de France but not get further. I think the Champions League one was impressive but apart from that I, I, I think they they should have done better than they've done this season. As ever with them, a lot of, a lot of what happens next season depends on who stays, who doesn't. And I think all that's to do as usual. I think he probably genuinely does want most people, apart from maybe Fekir and Bambele, possibly deprived to stay. But um, everyone's got their price and if he can negotiate good deals, and I think you may well see a few more players than that. And then obviously the, the, the big unknown at the moment is who's going to be coaching them next season. But um, yeah, I, I, even with uh, a half decent Champions League run and probably Champions League qualification, I think this season should be a kind of what might have been. Well, yeah, we know the coaching situation at Leon, at least in terms of there will be someone else at the helm next season. And as for Marseille, now it, it's it's a little bit more up in the air. I mean, it, it's it's expected at least anyway from Rudy Garcia's point of view that he may be in charge, although his agent is looking at other opportunities should he should he see the sack. But he seems pretty confident, at least anyway, of his ability to stay. But there was a sort of statement in the, in the sense that he left Tovan out and they had to bring him on in this one as well. And Marseille, in these big games as well, struggling. I know they sent out the stat earlier that in their last 30 games against Lyon and PSG, they've only managed one win, uh, 10 draws and 19 defeats. And obviously not all of that is on Rudy Garcia, but at the same time, it's been a pretty dreadful 2019 from him. And mm. statements like that, leaving out what arguably, even though he's in poor form, your best player, it's, it's, mm. it's one of those sort of final death knells of a manager that maybe missed, maybe out of a job come the summer. Exactly. Um, I think that, you know, whatever, obviously we've, I've been in this podcast, podcast before and I've I've talking about you know sort of Rudy Garcia and just he's, he's no longer a good fit for him and and you know it might be through sort of the tactics that he's putting now the fact that he's been unable to find a, a coherent static 11 um, obviously I think he's changed his team I think was it about over 40 times in the 46 games OM, OM have played uh, this season um, and the fact that you know, the players don't respond to him anymore uh, you know their players such as Luis Gustavo, which he left out a couple of weeks ago for several games, um, who has expressed his displeasure at you know repeatedly being forced to play at the back when OM have obviously a complete set of defenders. It's something that's not gone down well with the Brazilian. 
And one thing that struck me uh, this week was, uh, I think the club puts, puts out a YouTube video of sort of behind the scenes, um, uh, behind the scenes footage of like sort of the dressing room, the manager's team talk and whatnot. And there was a, a, an a, sort of an extract from the game against Strasbourg last weekend uh, where OM did draw 1-1 and uh, Steve Mandanda had saved the penalty, but the defenders had been too sort of static and on the third sort of follow-up, Strasbourg gets it in. Um, and that's what riled Garcia in the dressing room. And he, he screamed at the players, um, like visibly screamed, saying, you know, you don't trust your teammates. I've been screaming for the touchline, saying, you know, Max Lopez going going for the follow-up. Amadi, go for the follow-up. None of you listen. You don't trust your teammates. You thought Mandanda had had obviously not saved the penalty. I mean, I was shocked. You know, he doesn't really save that many. Um and and he 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 ended with that's the you know that's the problem with you guys this season you don't trust each other and i'm just thinking that's very interesting because you know that from from the follow up and the team buildings that was supposedly done this weekend they followed up with another passive another insipid another limp performance this weekend i think the players have just had enough um and it sort of resembles uh for me I think Chelsea about I think it was 2015 2016 when Mourinho got sacked that the players no matter how much he had uh, no matter what he did the players just don't want to play for him anymore um, and there was sort of a terminal decline and I just think that at that stage with Rudy Garcia um, and you know, I don't know I mean I think that he will be sacked uh, I think from a Europa League final to no European football at all within 12 months is obviously a massive failure against the objective set, especially considering that this was a season when when um, the, the club was bought in 2016, that within three seasons, the club would be back in the Champions League. They finished fifth in 2017, fourth last year. So obviously with the investment that was made last year, third or better was the expectation. Fourth, depending on the criteria, like last year, you know, I think OM can budget for that. But the fact that they're sixth, and no guarantee that Montpellier, who's still can get European football, um, will they can overtake Montpellier. I don't think that, that might be the case. It's an abject failure, so I do think he needs to pack his bags and just a massive readjustment needs to be made. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting summer, isn't it, to see what, what happens both on personnel and, and in that, that sort of management staff as well. And, and as for Leon, obviously, just they're still looking for a new manager, but it sort of irked me and irked a number of the fans because he left Moussa Dembele on the bench who has been performing excellently recently. I know we've been praising Martin Terrier especially who has been superb but Dembele's been a real source of goals and came on and grabbed the goal as well to sort of almost prove the point of why he didn't start. It seems a strange decision given that he's been in great form and others around him. Is that maybe more he's trying to put or all us is saying to, to put others in the shop window or, or do you think that it's maybe a sign that he's just I don't know if they if they they just don't want to play Dembele almost like he doesn't want to get in the Champions League I'm, not, I'm really not sure it is to be honest I don't know if they're, they're sort of remembering that the way that the pie finished the season last season and although the last couple of weeks he's, he's fallen back into mediocrity there was a, a sort of a, two or three week period where it looked like he was kind of gearing up for a full strong finish again. And even in, in an interview game recently, he sort of talked a good game, sounded a lot more, I'm sure it was Kidology, but sounded more happy at Leon than he has done previously. Um, so maybe it's, it is a thought that, you know, 
whatever we think of him, however his season's been on his day, he is a real match winner. So um, I think when he scored the winner against the last minute winner against Marseille, away from home last year. So maybe sort of Chelsea uh, had that in mind. But you look at their, their their relative form at the moment, and yeah, I don't understand how the players are starting. Possibly because he does very well when he comes on, he's going to be one of those players sort of unfairly labelled as an impact player. I don't know, but um, you can't ask for him to do any more than than, than he's done when, whenever he is given a chance, whether it's starting or, or coming on the start. And I don't know, after he scored, he seemed to look to the bench and give a bit of a glare. It's hard to say because he's got those, those kind of stary eyes anyway, but um, he didn't. You know, it wasn't a sort of wild and static celebration. So I wonder if there was a sort of um, point being made there. And it, it was a fantastic goal as well. Uh, really good. I mean, a good build up now around um, the belly, but a really good finish by Dead Belly. And then, yeah, uh, I can't, unless he was carrying a knock, and I haven't seen anything to say he was, I, I, I can't see how Depay is getting into that starting line up ahead of him. Yeah, it, like you say, it's really, really strange because, it, it, and it's working weird to try and work out the scenario. Either is it uh, Bruno Genesio just giving the middle finger to Olas? Is he is he tr- trying to just say, well, maybe he needs a bit of a rest, or the pie needs to be in the window? That seems to be maybe the the most logical one, really, because it's not like we we know he's going. It's not improving a point to the board to do something else, really, or. Uh, possibly even disciplinary but again we've not heard anything so uh, a peculiar decision especially in such an important game it's a good job he did come on and need to prove a point uh, on to our final topic at can least I, anyway. go, go I, ahead I, I just quickly asked no question I might have asked this last time he was on actually but I mean it's you know whenever a team's struggling there's always a question of whose fault it is um, and, and Garcia is I think rightly taking a lot of the run of it but to what extent do you think that Errol and Zubizarreta should, should take a bit of no, absolutely. I think the the trio need to share. I think all the, most of the blame. Uh, obviously, the players apportion should be apportioned a bit of the blame too. Um, but in the end, they are in charge of the football operations. You know, Frank McCourt uh, has put up the money. Has um, you know, he has sort of said that you know I'm going to put these people in charge and they'll report back to me about you know the decisions or the the decisions of the the, the recruitment etc. and the coaching and and who to target and obviously the the branding or the whatever it may be. These three are in charge, and it's these three who have contributed to the failure. Um, Irod and Super Zaretta. Well, Super Zaretta, we don't really know how much uh, or how little he's been doing over the past year or two because even though he's in charge of sort of finding and creating that with other clubs and finding some decent buyers in the transfer market obviously he's a very popular uh, player in the uh, European sort of uh, transfer market and network of clubs being uh, an ex-Barcelona legend and uh, Bilbao legend as well um, and we don't know we don't know behind the scenes if he does recommend these players and Rudy Garcia has the final save manager uh, there's just a really a lack of communication going on there. And as for Iroad, you know, he signs off and I think the buck stops with him. Again, only the team knows, and only probably Frank McCourt knows exactly what goes on behind the scenes. But the three of them, it's just been a colossal failure and something needs to give. 
<clears throat> yeah, certainly something needs to give in the in the summer, and I'm sure it will be interesting to see how the the whole summer really goes for OM. On to our final topic this week, and uh, I thought we'd give some time to some mid-table sides, given the fact that with the run-up to the end of the season, we're probably not going to speak about any of them for in any great detail unless they're playing someone with something left to, to talk for. And I just wanted to start off with, I've got four teams on my list tonight, and I want to start off, Jez, with with someone who has performed admirably in the last sort of third of, or even quarter of the season, you might say, in Nantes, who had their run halted by Nice with a one-all draw this weekend, but great five wins on a trot. They've got some goals out of Koulibaly and, and other players starting to come through as well for them. It's a, it's a real testament for them what has been a, a testing season on and off the pitch, unfortunately, for them. And I'm sure we mentioned probably a couple of months ago they just wanted the season to end. But if anything, now they want to keep it going for a couple more weeks because they could have been pushing higher up the table. But a great testament to Halle Hosage, isn't it, that these team have managed to to pull out some results in in their bottom end of the season and at least give their fans something to cheer about. Yeah, not only the results, but that they seem to be playing a relatively decent brand of football as well. It's, it's not something we're, we're necessarily that used to seeing from, from not the last couple of years. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that possibly they've set themselves a target as, as Europe's just, just too far away to, to finish ahead of Wren, maybe, um, which at the moment they're, they're, they look set to do. Um, and the last few weeks, they, they really look a, a changed side. And obviously, the circuit, you know, what, what happened earlier in the season, earlier this year to them, is, is going to have hit them. But um, it possibly hides the fact that before and after um, that uh, Salah's death, they, beforehand, they, they weren't putting up any trees at either and he was really sort of keeping it going almost single-handedly and naturally afterwards there was a, there was a relation of grip as well but the way that Alicic has got has got them playing again he's got and he's, there's some players who yeah look, look really set for for a, for a strong season next season and Mutisami who scored their goal at the weekend he was given um, sort of freedom left wing by um, by, the, by the young right back that was playing for me, but still he, he, he looks such a bright player. Cooley Valley's in the goals. Rangier, I think, is improving all the time. Um, and to be honest, I'd be surprised if he starts next season. Then, but um, he this season he's, he's really looking. Um, he's still quite young, but sort of every inch the leader and the captain that he is, um, and. I think Palois is one of those kind of standard Egan stalwarts who possibly doesn't quite get the, the credit he deserves. Um, so they, they had the, the decent spine there anyway, but they just weren't getting the results and certainly weren't playing any kind of entertaining football. But for Halliwell, has has got that wonder, considering they don't really have much to play for, considering everything they've gone through this season, really is a, a testament to him, to the, the character of of the whole team, I think, and um, for years, not the kind of a lot of neutrals favourites because they they got such a tradition of playing great football and, and probably also having very likable players. 
I think they've lost that the last three or four years because the football's been dour because Valdemar Quito is, is quite a dislikable figure as well. Um, but I think the last two, three months, I really think that the way that, that many of the club, possibly Lockheed himself, but certainly the, the coach and the players have, have conducted themselves and, and on and off the pitch, I think probably has won a lot of friends and I think a lot of people are hoping that they kick on again next year. Yeah, and the the real hope as well is that the, the, the sort of Emiliano Sala saga doesn't continue to drag on with reports over the summer from from Cardiff's end or from FIFA's end let's hope that they can try and solve something amicably quickly so that uh, that Nolk can do some business in the summer as well as um, finally move on from that scenario as well and credit to them for focusing things back on the football field because they have been excellent in the last couple of weeks and then the side that stopped their big run Nice um, it, Mo it's been a funny season for them because we expect to maybe a little bit more in 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 one sense because of Patrick Vieira, but in another, they'd lost so many players in their summer and the, the finances had started to drain out of them a little bit that it was inevitable that they were going to take some kind of a dip. So it's been a what has been somewhat of a successful season for Vieira, but there's certainly gaps to be filled in the summer, especially if, you know, the likes of St. Maximin and Atal goal. If those two go, that's 12 goals gone for one thing, but uh, they need some firepower, they need some reinforcements, and if Vieira can nickel and dime the owners a bit to get some more cash out of them, they could be an interesting side next season because he's laid the right foundations. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny. It's, it's exactly the word that you need to use when describing their season. I mean, they've only lost once in their last seven. Um, and they do have sort of the industrious side rather than a flamboyant, flashy side that they were about two, three years ago. Maybe that's uh, that's the image that Vieira sort of uh, sort of projected uh, to the team. I think you could see from... Uh, from the fact that they've they've scored so you know, so few goals, and have still managed to be seventh, uh, I think two or three points behind behind Marseille, five behind Montpellier, maybe, um, which is exactly the sort of position that you maybe have predicted for them in the at the beginning of the season, as uh, a decent uh, position for Vieira in his first season, but you know there's there's something that needs to be changed over the summer. Um, I don't exactly not want know what's going on with the ownership uh, because obviously this was supposed to be Chinese money um, uh, through Chen Li. Uh, it's supposed to you know take Nice to uh, at least a higher level or keep them as a stable force because at one point they were on Saint Etienne's level or, or you know you can arguably better in the 2015, 16, 16, 17 seasons where they were pushing for Europe and then the Champions League as well. So obviously while seventh is not exactly a, a massively disappointing season for them, but sort of the manner that they've been unable to close out games, the fact that they're unable to um, really convert chances into goals, uh, San Maximum aside, they are top, you know, I think joint top scorer is Atal, which is... Uh, you, know, you don't want your left back or your sorry not left back right back to be the top scorer or a joint top scorer obviously that would be that just it's an indication of just how weird their season has been so i don't know how they'll finance their summer obviously they've got two massive assets which you can sell for roughly between 35 and 40 million euros and two if they can fit the owners are able to use that money into giving or the majority the vast majority of that money in provided Vieira with some transfer options 
you know, they, they, it'll be interesting to see what they can build for next season. But over overall, you can't really can't really massively criticise Villarreal for the work he's done this season. Yeah, and it, it, going on to um, my next team in in Angers, Jez, they've had a really nice end to the season, at least anyway, that dragged them away from any trouble they were maybe sinking themselves into slowly at the end of uh, sort of January time. They were still in 15th, but a, a good turn of results has always seems to happen in the second half of the season for a Moulin side recently is has made sure they've stayed well clear of danger. And again, they're just always a bit, bit like Gang Up have been for the last couple of seasons before this. Uh, they're, they're always punching above their weight. They've got some really nice players in their, in their squad that have started to perform. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, especially, I mean, Fulgini's had a, a decent season. So as Jeff Ryan Adelaide has started to come into his own a little bit. And then uh, especially Flavian Tate, who might even be looking at a move away this summer. He's been absolutely excellent for them, especially in that game against Monaco, I remember, in the draw. But uh, again, uh, much like Moulin has been in the last few seasons for Angers, he's a stable force that they've backed. And he's proven yet again and, uh, and a great signing in Bahok. And I should also mention as well with his 11 goals as well, which is vital at this end of the season. Uh, it's proving that once again, he's, uh, while maybe not, always considered for, for a higher job in Liga, and he is an excellent Liga manager. Yeah, I think um, stable, sort of stable, consistent, is probably the best way to describe Roger. I don't mean that as a criticism at all. Like, you look at their record, it's more or less the same number of wins and losses. Um, a few more draws, which is kind of standard for them, and again, sort of proves that they're, they're, they're difficult to beat. Um, exactly the same number of goals for and against. It's kind of like I said, it's not meant as a criticism at all, but they're a very kind of middling average club. But for, for a club like Angers to be like that, I think is punching well above their weight and to be able to do it consistently for two or three seasons, I think is fantastic. And Moulin in a way, um, is, is, I'm not sure that he's ever received a, a nomination for, for coach of the year, but I think the, work, the great work he was doing there has, has really gotten unnoticed. Um, and yeah, they, they've built a really good spine. I think um, Boutel has always, I think, been a consistent good goalkeeper. Um, they've still got Traor and, and Thomas around the defence, who, who have always been solid back that, that first season back in the Gal with their amazing defensive record. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Gorgini, I think he's a fantastic player. He's, he's another one of those who, because he's so versatile, probably doesn't get a recognition that he deserves. So important to their squad, and I, I have to say that I have never been entirely convinced about um, Balkan or, or Hernandez, but um, even that's getting the best out of them as well. And, um, again, at the weekend, there's, okay, there's, there's a couple of flashy bits of skill that are doing the rounds from Neymar on social media, but for the most part, I thought uh, Angers sort of gave them a good fight. They, they got back into the match at the end. And, it was good to see Milan being quite British at the end and complaining about the, the lack of you know, injury time that was played because he felt that um, there, there was room there to even grab, grab an equaliser, which, which was good to hear. So, um, yeah, Angers should be relegation candidates every year, and that they're, they're not, they're not even, sort of, I'm not saying they're not close, and certainly in the season they might have fallen down a couple of places because they've got 
some couple of tough matches to finish, but that they never really have been in the relegation reckoning, I think it um, just shows what a great job um, Moulin and his team are doing. And, um, it would be nice to see them sort of push on as well next season, but as ever, with so many of the French teams, it just depends who's there because the team that comes out in late July or whenever the season starts could be very different to the team that, that finishes in a couple of weeks' time. Absolutely. And, and finally, sort of for these uh, mid-table sides, uh, Toulouse, on the opposite end of the scale for a number of those, it's uh, they'll be pretty glad the season's had to end. It's coming to a close for them. Um, uh, is, they'll be pretty glad that there's also at least three teams that are worse than this season, which means they are going to stay comfortably in Ligue 1 next season. But there's a lot of work to be done after we mentioned after they lost Lafont and, and Diop that they needed to reinvest smartly and they uh, haven't is maybe the best way of putting it really they, they've they absolutely relied on Max Langradel and if he was to go or to pick up an injury it would have been much much worse so there's a lot of work to be done in the summer isn't there yeah no I think um, well yeah, you pretty much explained it all there the fact that They've just been middling along and they're pretty lucky to be in a position where results mean that they're very, very, very likely to stay up. Uh, but I think conditions are right for, um, you know, them having a very difficult season if they're unable to put in some really smart moves this summer. You know, we've seen many examples of clubs who have, you know, stayed in the bottom half of the table or towards relegation and one season or another, it's either great escape or it's either... Um, a a sort of limp over the line sort of scenario, but then the season afterwards there's no hiding place as, as Gangar can attest to this season. Um, they can't rely on one player. They can't sell their players and bring in some some uh, sort of average average players to replace them, all in the name of saving money or having a low budget, because they'll be in a position where this time next year, perhaps their luck, their sort of run of lives or their luck will run out. So a very big season for them because the results at the moment, there's just really nothing to shout about. It's been a sort of a missed season. Obviously, we didn't expect much at the beginning, but in the end, even this is sort of a very poor situation to be in, especially considering that newer clubs like Nîmes have really um, have really uh, sort of caught the ball by the handle and made a, uh, made a really good start to their life in the top flight. Mm, absolutely. And, and uh, they desperately need to do something because not only they've been poor this season, they've been uh, dreadful to watch as well. <laughs> we don't ever say that lightly, to be fair, and, and they need to do something about that next season. Let's go on to our, our final moment this week, and that's our Liga snapshots very quickly from both of you. Start with yourself, Jez, on this one. What's your Liga snapshot? Um, for me, it's um, the, the, the quotes that um, Hatem Ben Arthur came out with after after the, the Ren match this weekend, basically complaining about Ren style of play that it doesn't sort of it's not attractive enough, it's too timid, it doesn't stimulate him enough, and therefore he's 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 looking he's thinking about moving elsewhere. Um, I don't know if those comments were sort of prompted by or um, but basically he was he was booed off and he was substituted. Um, by, by the Rem fans, so I don't know about sort of cause and effect, um, but I, I may, may well feel differently because he's had Ben Arthur and his team, but um, I, for me, it's, that's just classic Ben Arthur. That his, uh, his talent has never been in dispute, but 
his ego and his team ethic has, has always got him into trouble. And, and um, you know, I know that he's a, one of the nominees for Player of the Year, but to me, that's an absolute joke. I don't think he's even been close to being Ren's best player, let alone one of the, the four best players in the league. Um, and you know, I think it's pretty disrespectful to treat the team that, that I think it's fair to say is kind of resurrected or saved his career this season and, and given him a, a, another um, title or, or cup winners medal to, to disrespect them publicly like that. I think it's, it's uh, pretty shoddy of him and, and wherever he goes and I hope when do dump him. Um, I hope that he ends up not going anywhere special and wherever it is. I, I wouldn't expect him to do anything to pull up any trees there or he'll do his usual thing and sort of do something special for a couple of couple of months or so then his, his ego is going to get massively inflated again and it will all go wrong again and I just uh, I just find it really tiresome and, and I hope that wherever he does go it's not in France so we don't have to keep thinking about it yeah, he flip-flops between being entertaining and excruciating, doesn't he? And uh, I don't blame you for maybe being a little fed up with it. Uh, Mel, what's your league snapshot? Um, I'd probably put Lil Lois. I think that we've not mentioned them at all in this podcast, yeah. but obviously they've qualified for the Champions League um, and sort of bookended a fantastic season. I think one thing that struck me was that you have to remember this time last year, in fact, that this day last year they'd survived on the first penultimate weekend of the season. And it's not like they've done anything crazy. They've not injected 80 million into the squad. They've continued sort of more or less on the same trajectory that put them in that position in the first place. The only difference being Christoph Gaultier, who's, of, I think, really exceeded to another level uh, in his reputation as a manager by providing a massive overhaul. The same young players are still there, the same high potential, you know, uh, buy low, sell at a high value sort of strategy is still there. The tactics and stability is brought in as well as the astute buyers, Jose Font being an example, have uh, obviously, you know, just put, you know, all the ingredients put together to have a fantastic season. I wish them well for the Champions League next year. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Although uh, minus points slightly for Galtier this weekend for admitting that that wonderful free kick was not something they'd worked on in training and was more instinctive, which is kudos to the players. But if you're a manager, keep your cards closer to your chest. It's, <laughs> it makes you, you would have made him look a little bit more smarter if, uh, <laughs> if he'd have uh, been the one to pull that off. But uh, uh, it was a fantastic goal. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, come on, be, be smarter, yeah. Galtier. Come on, yeah, make yeah, yourself exactly. look a little bit smarter than that. Uh, I'm going to save yeah. mine for, for the, the, the new side in Liga and that we'll see next evening in Stade Brestois. Um, great to see them back in Liga and poetically, um, sort of six years after they left, they, they swap places with Gang up them and they'll swap places again next season. They've had a terrific season under um, Jean-Marc Foulan and I'm sure we'll talk more about it on the, on Thursday when we speak to, to Adam, who's seen a lot more of them in League uh, League 2, but uh, a couple of big names that we remember from from uh, from times in Liga, and especially Gaetan Chardonnier, who's been um, absolutely terrific for them in, uh, in front of goal this season, and uh, great to see them back in Liga, and please Please, everyone else in England, um, don't get too excited that there's a team called Brest in the league next season. Just, uh, you know, control yourselves if you can. Um, that, can, I just, so, can I just mention very quickly yeah. on, on, on Brest? Um, but, uh, it sounds like Fulham is probably going to leave in the summer. And I think it's partly because of disagreements with, with the powers that be there. But I think he came out with a quote this weekend that um, he, he prefers being in League 2 and the sort of challenge of promotion and just generally prefers sort of 
winning more matches than not than losing them. I just thought that was a really interesting quote and not the kind of thing that it, that you hear from from players or coaches. But I can you know there's definitely merits to it and you can sort of see his thinking that maybe it's more interesting kind of masterminding promotion pushes than than sort of scrapping around to 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 try to survive in the in the top division. And I wonder if there's a few more that, that think that way but wouldn't admit it publicly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting then, given that they're topsy-turvy, if that's a topsy-turvy summit for them. But given that a couple of sides that came up last season had a similar scenario of at least losing players or or having a bit of difficulty, then um, hopefully it won't affect them too much. But we'll wait and, and see on that one. Uh, that's all for this evening. My thanks for Jess, uh, Mel, and all of you listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show, which will be back on Thursday. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place, next week. Abianto and goodbye.